Well, um, let's talk about uh, anger. <clears throat> and uh, as it turned out, I just got to do that lecture upstairs. And all of you have been through fundamentals, so you've had a whole hour of that beforehand. And you hopefully you can find your fundamental notes. Because uh, many of the things that you are asked for on this exam uh, come come right from the fundamentals and what you learn there. Whoops! And just asking you to put them into into practice and talk about them a little bit more. Now, remember when you write this, um, write it, write your all your exam questions. Write it as if you're explaining it to a counselee. So use it as an exercise. Okay, now, how would I, how would I explain this anger? And uh, here they're talking about at least five ways people deal, you know, with their anger, how they, they manif- manifest. So I'll give you sort of a summary, refresh your mind. But basically they just <clears throat> want you to remember your notes that you did, took in fundamentals, uh, internalize it so you're able to talk about it because um, um, I can't. I can't remember when you when I haven't dealt with anger in a counseling situation. You know, we all get angry, and most of us are getting angry for uh, unbiblical and sinful reasons. And anger happens to be one of these things where we too often, and our counselees too often, think that their anger is biblical and justified. And they need someone to come alongside, as it says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to show them that their anger is not. And so this is the, the time that you use to work on this will be, be valuable and worthwhile. So uh, here's the definition. And um, lots of different definitions floating around, but this is one definition of anger is an emotional, physical reaction in response to another's behavior. And you can put there another's uh, irritating behavior uh, or another's sinful behavior. Uh, And I have, you know, dealing with uh, uh, anger. Uh, Sometimes with our anger that we think is so righteous, it really is because... Uh, it's just an irritating behavior, and uh, it's because our preferences weren't really met or our expectations that we we had. So, uh, working through it, some well-meaning Christians have indicated anger is always wrong. So this is a case here. You have uh, sometimes that you think, oh, okay, uh, anger is uh, wrong to do now that I'm a Christian. I'm to love everybody, and that anger is just out outside that. So that is not true according to Scripture. Remember uh, Ephesians 4.26, in your anger don't sin. It didn't say anger is sin, but in the anger don't sin. And if you remember, remember that, this implies that uh, to be angry in certain situations, but be careful of not sinning. This is uh, a righteous or biblical anger. It's talking about, you know, be angry. Now, remember God... Uh, was angry, and we are made in his image, and with some, he is angry. As Psalm 711 says, God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath, anger, you know, every day against against that. 
Also, Jesus rightfully expressed biblical anger when he drove the money changers from the, the temple area. The temple was supposed to be being used for a place of prayer. And in fact, where the uh, money changers were, uh, were where was the place where the Gentiles were allowed to come. And so the yeah, Jews weren't that interested in the Gentiles, so they, we could make a little more money here, so we'll set up money changers here. Who cares about the Gentiles? So fortunately, that upset the Lord. He wants everyone to come to him. He wants it to be that everyone comes to, comes to Zion. So there are places where God, the Lord, Jesus are angry. So biblical angry is very necessary and a useful reaction is appropriate as a communication of feeling to another's injurious or sinful behavior. So let me, let me just state from the beginning here, and we'll talk about it <clears throat> some more as the notes go along. But remember what you got is that you have you got a problem here. Something has happened. And uh, uh, so let me, uh, let me use an example just... Uh, this uh, horrendous uh, crisis that we have in our country is uh, abortion. Okay, we've got a got a problem, and so <clears throat> there are. I can get I can get I can get angry. Uh, I need to get angry about this. Okay, and so the anger about this the killing of unborn children is an energy is created because of this anger. And now, uh, what do I do with that anger? Do I use that energy to come back to, uh, you know, do my part in working towards solving the problem or not? Okay? So think about it as that anger is uh, in itself typically not, it's not sinful, uh, not necessarily sinful. Okay? Uh, it's not until we get around to how we express it. All right? And then we'll talk about the different ways it's expressed. Expressing it righteously is to use it to come back. Or another example is, let's say, uh, you have learned of just the, the you know, it's just a horrendous thing that uh, happens. Uh, you have learned that your spouse has been adulterous. I mean, it's the most, one of the most painful things you'll ever learn or hear. And uh, the, uh, uh, and you, you, what are you, you going to do with that anger? Are you going to use that anger in solving the problem? Or are you going to use that anger to, over here, explode like a volcano and uh, use the energy to get a gun to go out and kill the lover? Or are you going to think, well, I'm, I'm a good Christian. Even though this terrible thing is happening, I'm going to sort of... Uh, I, I, I don't want to explode, so I'll be over here and I'll sort of, I'll, I'll sort of clam up. I'll internalize it. And then even not appropriate use of that, that energy that God has given you to solve that problem. And a uh, uh, way to use the energy to solve the problem could be that uh, to find a, a biblical counselor you know, to, for you and your wife to, to go to to deal with this. And uh, so that's what we're talking about. So let's work through the notes, see how they, how they flow. Okay. But uh, biblical anger is a very necessary, useful reaction. Okay. 
uh, God sipping down there. God in his goodness has made us capable of using biblical anger for his kingdom. So we want to, to do that as we want to we want to see how can I use this to further the kingdom. Anger is an emotion that creates a tremendous amount of energy. God wants us to deal with the anger and accompany energy immediately in a way that's pleasing to him. That word immediately is so that we keep current on it and uh, use it. So remember there are five ways of handling anger. And uh, just I had to... I, uh, <clears throat> I had to correct my notes upstairs, and I corrected these today also as I was reviewing all the all the talks. This next statement, I realized this this is wrong here. I have some of, you know, talking about some of them are good. There's of the five responses, there's really only one that's good. So change it to one of them is good. This is really one. One of them is good, pleasing to God. And the others are sinful. So then the next sentence needs to be adjusted too. It says, a ways that are pleasing to God should be the way that is pleasing to God will also be beneficial for us. That's the neat thing. As we, as, if we keep our eyes just on ourselves, we'll gravitate toward, uh, and wanting good for ourselves, we'll gravitate toward sinful responses in life. If we can become humble and uh, have our focus being want to glorify God and do things for his good, the byproduct that we get is always good for us. So if we try and get good for us, we're always going to miss it. If we try and glorify God and good for him, we get what he has for us. So it's a, a shift there. So the ways that are sinful will be destructive to personal relationships and our own uh, soul here. Um, <clears throat> look through Psalm 30, 32. You'll see where, as he, that's a, we're not going to do it now, but look at Psalm 32. And he'll, as we uh, talk about uh, just poor responses, how guilt feelings, we did it in the last session where we talked about depression. Psalm 32, Psalm 32, you would have noticed, was in all kinds of references there, but I don't think I called it out. Psalm 32 is just a tremendous psalm for uh, <clears throat> helping in this area. He talks about how, you know, his strength was zapped and how he just felt like the hand of God was upon him, how the heat of summer was just beating on him. He was just out. And then... The next verses say, and then I confess to God my sin. And then everything starts to change uh, there. So it's the Psalm of David with Bathsheba and so forth. So going back to this here now, the three major categories are ventilation, eternalization, and righteous. Okay, So under ventilation, there's two ways. Under internalization, there's two ways. That gives us a total of four, and then righteousness is one. So that's where we get a five that they're talking about there. Okay, so let's talk at the, look at the two ways of ventilating. All right, ventilating is more of this explosive thing that goes on here. And uh, <clears throat> uh, so basically the first one, put a, where it says blowing up 
at the object of anger, put a big one there. So it's focused on, this is, is focused on the object. Simple illustration is the employee tells the pushy, demanding boss, off in a sinful way. All right? Yes, we as Christians, we may have a pushy, demanding boss. We may be living under a very tough, tough situation. But God knows that. And God promises in, in First uh, Corinthians 10.13 that no temptation, no trial has seized us. That not, it's not common to man. And he's faithful. He will provide a way that we can stand under it. Uh, so we don't have to tell this boss off. We don't have to vent at this boss. We don't have to be disrespectful. So this is one example here of sinful anger, telling a boss off. Uh, the second one here, this is number two, attacking not the cause of anger, but attacking a substitute. Number two. This is um, um, this is this is this is in a way sort of crazy among Christians. This is what you often see because they're a Christian. They're not going to get show their anger at church. They're they're trying to preserve a witness at work, and what they do is they then come home. And they just treat their wife and kids rotten. And sometimes often about things that happened at maybe in the workplace or other relationships. And so this is, it seems like it's very weird, very perverse. Yes, it is weird and perverse, but it turns out to be rather common in our, in our thinking when we get into a sinful uh, track here. So illustration, employees getting push, pushy, Employee is getting pushed around at work by the boss, utters not a word at the office, but comes home and kicks the dog, or worse yet, the kids or the wife. You know, really takes it out on them. Uh, as we said, particularly perverse, and the ventilation does not even occur on the person who caused the anger, but on an innocent someone else. Both of these expressions of anger are volcanic, explosive, and sinful. And, uh, um, yeah, I have uh, this, like I said, so this last one here is to be aware of this. And then what this last one here, as you're dealing with the person, and both times it was a, in a, a couple counseling, and both times it was the guy. <clears throat> and uh, I can tell you, both, I, I, we, I counsel people who are in Christian service, all in the tri-state area, so don't try and guess what they were. But both of them were in full-time Christian ministry. And uh, in both, both of these, these cases, I remember, is that it was just a horror show at home with the anger he was demonstrating. But I talked to people they would work with in the Christian ministry, and this guy was a model, both cases. It was unbelievable. And I would, you would hear from the fellow, I can't help it. And then you'd point out to him, well, you help it at work. You can help it at home, and you have God's help not to act that way. And all. So, uh, you know, that takes some involvement, you know, with the person. But that's what God has placed you there for, to be a loving help to 
uh, this, this person. Okay. Good. All right. Then on the internalization, so back to the, this model, you got a problem, anger uh, occurs, and you want to put energy toward it. That's righteous anger, but over here you've got a volcano. Uh, just exploding, explodes at the person who caused it, or going home and exploding it, or going in, you know, the kids or whatever. Then over here you got in, internalizing, okay? And this can happen in, in who? Okay, I'm angry, but I think, ooh, Christians aren't supposed to get angry. And, uh, and, and this, when I first became a believer, I, I, I was 27 years old. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Uh, and by the time I was 27, you know, I was, definitely had a worldly mindset and all. And so coming to the Lord, I mean, it was a radical, radical. And so I thought, okay, well, you're not supposed to get angry. You know, I didn't know the scriptures very well uh, at all then. And now I know them a little bit better. A lot of people have helped me. But back then, I thought we weren't supposed to get angry. So I internalized it. I knew I was angry, but I didn't know what to do with it. So I, I didn't use the energy, certainly, to work toward, toward the problem. And then, so the two sides on this internalization side are you, you sort of clam up. You don't say anything. Everything's fine, this and that. Or the other side is you deny it. You don't, okay, it's, it's, okay uh, so I don't even have it. So I think I oscillated on this internal side. I oscillated between the two, you know, just clamming up and de- denying it when I could. And when I couldn't, then I just, you know, internalized it. So those are inappropriate responses. Those are not pleasing to the Lord with the, the anger. So that's what the notes are talking about there. So uh, clamming up is number three. Number four is denying. And uh, as you can see there, these are common among Christians. So righteous anger. Righteous anger is when the intense, <clears throat> uh, the intense, immense emotional energy is directed toward the problem or solution in a manner pleasing to God. So righteous anger is your fifth. An example a husband that has just learned that his wife has been having an affair will be angry. The choice is his, whether he expresses it sinful or righteous anger. How we use the emotional energy created by the anger. Good. So choice one, even though he's emotionally and physically exhausted, he could use the energy for an anger to go shopping for a gun to kill his wife's lover. All right. And that uh, unfortunately happens so often, I think. Didn't we say most murders in this country happen between people who know each other? Yes. Yeah. So a lot of times out of anger. and uh, uh, Or the uh, husband could use the anger to make inquiries of finding a biblical counselor to help them. Now, you don't need a lot of energy if you're at Grace Fellowship Church. But if you're at another church, you know, that can be, be really, really tough uh, finding that. But it work toward you know, rescuing your relationship. And what that all is going to going to take, and working through it. Good. So uh, some references there here. You uh, the little pamphlet is just a great one that Jay Adams did a number of years ago. It's still good. Explains these five. Uh, there's some information in the Christian Counselor's Manual if you have that. Uh, Lou Priola's book, you know, The Heart of Anger. It's written dealing with children with anger. But as I just told the people upstairs. It might have helped Mark a little bit, but it helped me a whole lot more, you know. 
that's a great, great uh, book uh, there too. So, and then uh, the, the Peacemaking for Families has a lot of aspects that deal with anger too that are helpful, you know, how to, how to do a confession and what it means when you say forgiveness and so forth. So those are good materials also once you get into the counseling realm. But this is what they're, they're looking for, and so hopefully that serves as a primer to the pump. So, let's see. I need... I need to know when do we need to be done here? Oh, seven, eight thirty-five. Okay, all right, we'll work toward that. Okay, how about seventeen? Uh, the nice thing about these now that you're getting into them, these are really practical. I mean, you can use these. Now, it's, part of the challenge is uh, you might not have done a lot of counseling yet, so you're going to be thinking, "Well, what do I do here?" So that's why I'm going to try and give you some things. And uh, uh, point you towards some references and, and some helps here, but be even more, <clears throat> well, even more than uh, sort of the references. Uh, one of the things that people helped me do is to be to, to try and be very specific in my homework assignments. Okay, looking at this number seventeen, give some typical assignments for a person who's depressed. We talked about it earlier. Then do for a person who worries. Okay. Then to do the same thing for a person who's afraid. Okay. And it doesn't want a big theological discussion. Don't discuss what you do in giving assignments. Rather, give actual assignments as you would write them down for the counselee. So when I when I'm done with a counselee, is that I write on a piece of piece of paper. Uh, what they are, and uh, uh, hand them to them. So they have it, and I, I have it. Because as we're, we've gone through the session, I'm making little notes as we're going through, and we get to the end, then I write it down for them and hand it to them. And uh, one of the things I hope you'll see here is that um, I'm pretty specific, uh, and I want them to do some work, and I want them to report back. And in the reporting back, it's we're going, to do, we're going to do something with it when they come back to the session. It's just not that they do it and it's sort of done out there. So let's look at one. Let's, uh, I guess some, these, this first bullet point, some sort of assignments. There's no real assignments here. Basically what I'm doing is trying to explain to the person that I was reading the exam uh, what I'm trying to do. And you might want to do the same sort of thing. Uh, sort of a disclaimer uh, in some senses. They're not in progressive order. I didn't, and they don't want you to make them in progressive order. So it's not like you thought about session six, session seven, eight, nine. All right, they're sort of just examples of homework. There's there's another one on communication where you got to lay out session after session after session. So there's no trying here. So you might, as you look through the list, you might, well, why did you ask them to do that before this? I didn't try and get them in order. Okay, so you don't have to try that either. Uh, some of the assignments help the counselee and counselor clarify the counselee's condition and needs. So some of them are for uh, clarification of of what the problem is. Other assignments are to help the counselee realize the root cause. I'm going to give them assignments. Hopefully, as they're working through it, they're going to realize, oh wow, now that I see all these things about bitterness. Well, that sounds a lot like me. 
So, like I, t- I told you before, it's never worked when I've told someone they're bitter. But if they look at the Bible, that has worked. So you might be giving them so they understand their issue. Some of the assignments help the counselee take steps of obedience, you know, out of the pit of depression we talked about, or worry or fear by practicing put off and put ons by divine power, his divine power. All right, so let's look at depression. Okay, now some of these things are resources that you may not have available. Okay, uh, but <clears throat> uh, you can you can find them, but they're not necessarily. There are other more modern ones that are out there. Uh, so this one here, this was an article written in 2000 by uh, Ed Welch. This first one, words of words of hope, and it was a great one. But now he's written a whole book on depression, stubborn darkness. So you can just use his book and a chapter in the book. But uh, here the important thing is, I didn't ask him just to read it once. And I didn't ask him to read it just casually. You'll see, I asked him to read it three times. I mean, uh, I have, uh, you'll meet with your counselee every uh, week or every two weeks. There are some people There's some biblical counseling that goes on, and it's very intense over like a three, four-day period. There's an organization that, even Grace Fellowship Church, we support them financially. It's a counseling organization called 12 Stones in Indiana. And they do it in a week, an intense sort of thing. Uh, That just doesn't work for me. Uh, uh, But it it works for them. uh, uh, But then they need follow-up from that. But here we get to use the time. Let things sink in. And after the third time, note in their spiritual journal. I want people to write things down. Dawson Troutman, who started the Navigator Ministry, said when a thought has to go down, come from the mind, down the arm, through the hand, onto a piece of paper, it has has a way of sinking deeper into the heart. I ask the people to write for two reasons. When you write something, it makes your whole, there's more of your mind involved in just thinking of something and writing it down. It uh, then allows you to clearly see it every day. uh, I'm I'm sure I miss it, but I can't can't remember when I can't, uh, don't write in a journal. I I have to write to clarify things for myself. It's just too crazy. In in my mind, I so writing it down helps me clear. Even today, I there were there were there there were so many things that were that we needed to do that were fun to do, all kinds of things. And I got up this morning, what am I going to do today? So I'd write them down, and I sort of moved them around. Okay, these four things we're going to do worked out. It was a beautiful day. But if we had started where I had started at seven thirty in the morning, we would have been a mess of a day. I just needed to sort it out. So writing it down helps and it will help help them and then also it gives you something to look at because it's hard to remember whatever they've said so often i'll say i want give me when you come next week bring me a xerox of what you've written in your spiritual journal and we'll have it uh things like that so that's what you see here Uh, their spiritual journal uh, I give them, a, you know those old composition mo- notebooks you used to use, uh, sort of black and white marble thing? We give them, we have those in stock here. We give that to people. Or everybody's got spiral at home that they 
used the first three pages on and then never finished what they were going to, the book they were going to write or whatever. Well, everyone's got those at home. <clears throat> so just use that. But make it your spiritual notebook for this intense time where they're writing stuff. Uh, you know, that impressed you. What, what impressed you? Not, not, not what is the, you know, the answer I want to hear. I tell them, do never, do not, do never write the things down to impress me. You know, I want this to help you long after you, rem- you forget my name. Do never do that. In fact, I want you to write things down. And if I ask you to share something, I will give you the, the privilege and the respect that you can pass on it. Because even if we don't have the relationship that you want to tell me about that deep, dark thing, I would rather have you wrestling with God in your spiritual notebook about it than being concerned that I'm not sure I want Ken to know that yet. You know? Okay? So this is their notebook, and, you know, you've got to get them to work with it, and then there'll be lots of places they'll share from. Okay. Now, another thing is, read 10 pages per day of Depression of Stubborn Darkness. This is the book. I want them to highlight. You know, want them to get a book. They're, they're highlighting. They're, they're working on it. And, uh, you know, really going, going after it here. Make a mess of it. Get a spray can of yellow. Okay? Highlight any items that impacted you. And here, come ready to talk about them. You know, check the five you know, most important, check the ones that, you, that you're ready. Tell me why this impacted you. What made the difference uh, there? Okay. So it's better to do this when you assign the homework than when they come back and they don't have anything to tell you, but you didn't tell them what you really wanted out of it. Okay. Next one, describing your spiritual journal, what depression looks like or what it's saying to you. Write for at least a page. Okay. Depression looks different to different people. It's saying that I, I thought to someone the other day who was depressed in, the, in my work, I just, I don't think anybody listens, listens to me. You know, I make suggestions and nobody pays any attention to them. I really don't uh, think I'm of any value uh, there. And I know I am, but just the way things happen and uh, and so he's spiraled down there in this. And that's what it looks like to them. To some people, it just looks like everything is just dark. Uh, the, the room that they're in, it's like everyone, it's broad daylight, but everyone's, uh, the shades have just been pulled down. You want to understand what they look like. It could, look, it could be elements of uh, paranoia in that depression. You're just wondering what, uh, you know, in the depression, what... Oh, those two people are talking. They must be talking about me, what I got on, you know, or what I last said. You, know, you want to understand what what's clicking there? You know, no, I can never, I I can never get a job. No one's ever going to want want to have me in their their office. Uh, so that's what you're looking for there. Christ in Your Problems by Jay Adams. That's a very very helpful book. You know, in your discipleship journal, write three truths that impressed you, along with each truth how you can practically apply that truth to your life. So you want to see, okay? What did they see as biblical truth? And sometimes they'll write stuff down, and you went, well, wow, that's, I'm not sure that's biblical truth. I'm not sure J. Adams was even, he wasn't even saying that. 
But so it gives you a point to, to clarify it or, wow, they hit it right on the money. I mean, they really got it. And uh, then they write how to apply it to their life, and you can see there's a disconnect. They theologically understand things, but they don't, for some reason, there's a disconnect of how to actually do this in, in their life. And so how they practically apply it. You know, they say, well, love my wife. Okay, so they write down, uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, once a month take the trash out. Well, no, that's, that's not really what he's talking about here, loving your wife. That's, that, might, that, that might be a great start for some guys, but uh, that's uh, <clears throat> more uh, than that. So then this is a key here that I think is very helpful is write an honest prayer to God asking for his help. Not a prayer that's flowery. Not one that I've never, when someone has written a prayer, I have never, I don't think I've ever critiqued it. You know, that's what they have written to God where they are. I can critique a whole lot more and other things. But if that's where they are with God, you know, probably there's something that would come up that, you know, I would, would critique. But typically... I want that to be honest, heartfelt, a, a child speaking to his his father or her father. That's where they are. But I want that there. I really want to see, well, it's not changing behavior. We really need God involved in changing the heart. So I hope you see this in the, the, the assignments, what we're doing. Okay. In your discipleship journal, note similarities between the event surrounding Cain's countenance falling. Okay. So depression got down. The next one, okay, similarities between your own depression and Elijah's situation, giving him the reference in the scriptures of what it was about. Here's Psalm 32. Study how David felt when he was depressed. Okay, now that's where a lot of people will, that's where I stopped when I did my homework. Okay, study how David felt when he was depressed. Okay, they read it. Did I study it yet? No. Does this description match how you feel? Yes or no? From the rest of the psalm, what do you learn about how God, David, how David handled his depression? You know, you want an answer in journal. How did he handle it? Did they get it when they read Psalm 32 or not? What ways should David action, actions and voice be yours? Now you turn it to themselves. Okay, David did these things, okay, when he was depressed. You know, what, what should you do? And it might be there where the light comes on and Oh, there's, there's some sin in my life that I really never have repented of. And uh, that God used the homework assignment to bring that key. Read 10 pages. I, I do this 10-page thing because in a month, there's 300 months. Not 300 months. There's 300 days. So there's 30 days. I'm ahead. So 10 times 30 is 300. Finally, we got to 300. There, and... Uh, an average book has about 300 pages, so if you read 10 pages a day, you'll finish a book a month. That's a good place to be. Brad reads 50-some books a year. I read 20-some books. So if you can get your counselee, after they're done with you, to read you know, you know, six books a year, I mean, that is fantastic. You can get them to read three books if they've never read a book before. That would be terrific. So uh, get them in this kind of habit. So... Lost in the Middle, A Lost in the Middle by Paul Tripp is a great book. Uh, just very helpful. Uh, it's talking about middle age, but it doesn't matter whether you're middle-aged, uh, 
whatever. It's a great exposure of these idols that you've had and finally uh, get you. Uh, Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges, another fine book uh, there. Um, Keep a a brief log of your depressive uh, thoughts. Okay, Uh, you thought about you think about killing your killing yourself, uh, quitting your job. Okay, each time you feel depressed, write down your thoughts word for word. Then go over each thought and convert it to an excellent or worthy of praise. Remember Philippians four eight says, if anything's uh, excellent or worthy for for praise, think about that. So they're to take these log of depressive thoughts, put off and put on thoughts that are excellent and praiseworthy. So you're asking them to do these types of exercises. Okay? This came from an excellent wife. It was helping the wife put uh, recognize bitter thoughts and to put on uh, bitter thoughts. So she had them keep a bitter thought diagram, keep a bitter thought log, and then from that log, then opposite, they were to put on thoughts that were pleasing to God that weren't uh, bitter. Okay. What sins do you need to repent of? Okay. Specific, repent of. What steps of obedience do you need to take? Write a prayer in your discipleship journal for the Spirit's help. And uh, you want this to be a real prayer. Uh, a neat little booklet dealing with motives uh, is uh, by Ed Welch. We have it. And there it talks about idols. And uh, ask him, what idols compete with your affection for God alone? And record them in the journal. Uh, in your discipleship journal, note three truths that impressed you along with each note. Uh, how you can practically apply that truth in your life and write an honest prayer. So the prayer is you're modeling it and very important to helping the person. So you sort of see how it goes. Same sort of thing with worry, just different ones. Uh, let's see. Let me, uh, the first one here is worry. Very good book is Trusting God. That's a great book. But I never, use, I never ever use Trusting God. I always use the Trusting God Study Guide. Trusting God Study Guide gives, the, in the beginning, it gives you a summary of the chapter that's in the Big Trusting God book. It gives you just a one or two page summary. And then he makes you look up the verses. He makes you make the applications. And that, makes, that helps to internalize it so much. Remember the first time I had it, uh, uh, there was a, uh, a, on the cul-de-sac we lived in where we used to live, there was a lady who was a counselor. Through Beth, she became a believer and uh, then wanted to do Christian counseling. She was going on vacation. She said, can I have this case? Uh, This lady, will you help me? So, how can I say no? So I said, yes, I'll help you. Well, I found, find out She's in the mental hospital. I also find out she was homicidal and suicidal. And what she she had adopt she adopted a gal a little girl as a single. She had become the mother had become so depressed is that she was going to kill the daughter because there was no one to kill the daughter when she killed herself. So it's a big deal uh, problem. So I went to see her in the mental hospital. Of course, I had no I had no idea what to do. Uh, but God had just recently made me aware of this book, Trusting God, the Study Guide. I, in God's providence, took one along. I was able to give it to her. And uh, uh, what we did is I never went to see her again. I, just, I said, every week I want you to do a chapter, and you 
faxed me, she was able from the mental hospital, faxed me the chapters. And uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, he, she recovered and uh, has raised that daughter and works as an accountant in a, a Christian mission organization. So you just never know what God uh, will do. And, but you've got you to be creative because you, you, you don't know what you're doing. In a way, you don't know what you're doing, but God will use you in what you, uh, uh, what you don't. So that was very helpful. Okay? Uh, there's, now, this, you're going to see a note here, a Christian growth and discipleship manual. A couple times I refer to that. And then the subtitle is a, a, home, a, a Homework Manual for Biblical Living. It is so great in that a lot of people have already worked out these homework assignments for us. And this one is terrific. It's by Wayne Mack. Wayne Mack, I don't know, I, I don't, is he, he's well in his 80s if he's not 90. Well, he retired by leaving this country and moving to South Africa to start a counseling center. He's just uh, one of the founders of the counseling movement. And uh, Wayne Johnston, he wrote it with Wayne Johnston. And it's one of my, this is one of my favorites. Uh, and uh, he, Wayne Mack has two other uh, smaller ones. So this, it's a good book for, you're struggling with homework, has lots of assignments in there, and you'll see I use it a lot. Okay, keep a log or worrisome thoughts. Um, keep an inventory, things like that. Christ and your problems pops up again. Um, okay, Matthew six nineteen through 34. Okay, That's the passage on the Sermon on the Mount where the Lord says, you know, don't worry. Your father, you know, knows what the, you know, the, the making the lilies beautiful. You know, not a sparrow dies and things like that. Knows all that. So, why are you all worked up? So give them a Bible assignment uh, there uh, on that passage. Okay, afraid. Worry and afraid are, there, there's a lot of connections there, so you're going to see some of the same things. Okay? Does that give you some ideas to get going? All right, good. And what they were really looking for. Okay, so we'll do one more this hour, and I will let you take a break. All right. Describe how you deal with sin in counseling. Use a case history in which you were the counselor to show how you dealt with it. All right. Well, there's a couple of problems here. This this is one of those that what do you, what, do you, what do you what do you mean deal with sin? I mean, there's sin all over the place. I mean, in the counseling. I mean, there's there's your are you is the question asking me how I deal with my sin or how I deal with the do I how do I deal with the counselee's sin? Or the sin against the counselee? I mean, what are they looking for here? Uh, and then, uh, you know, a case history. Well, maybe you haven't done a ton of, ton of counseling. What am I going to do for a case history? So uh, it's okay in a case history to make something up. Just clearly tell them, you know, I haven't, don't have a whole lot of record of it, but this is how I could see how things would be going. And that's perfectly fine to do. And we've had people do that, and by people doing their grading, that's been very well, you know, accepted. Okay, so let's, let's work through here some, some thoughts. Dealing with sin, it's an everyday matter for each of us, and especially for the counselee. Okay, to make it, but basically, they want you to realize, the reason they wrote this question is, and you, you'll think this is, this is nuts, but 
it, I see it happen time and time again, and I have to catch myself also. Someone is going to come into the counseling, and you, you're going to like this person, you're going to love this person, and you're going to want to change their situation, and you are going to work to change their situation. Where what God wants to do is to have you help them uh, either deal with their own sin or to deal with the other people's sin in a way that's pleasing to God. It's not about changing their circumstances. It's about giving them hope and help, even if their circumstances never change. So that's why they want you to, what you're there is to help with sin. Now, uh, most likely, it's an underlying sin that has created the problems for which the counselee is seeking counseling. It's not always the case that the person sitting across from you, they're there because they are a grave sinner. We're all grave sinners, but not likely. But it is, it is amazing that usually their life has spiraled enough out of control, not so much because of the trial they're in, but because they've approached that trial sinfully that they need help. So that they are there because their approaches to it are sinful. Or they're in a really bad situation and they're not quite sure what to do and they can choose a sinful response or a good response and you're there to keep helping them make good responses in a, in a tough one. So counseling may have been sinned against. They may have been sexually abused as a, as a young person and now they're married and they're supposed to be use their sexuality in a loving way and uh, their, just their whole understanding of it is just out of whack. Uh, so you need to help them uh, there. Uh, their counseling uh, may be being tempted to sin by be responding bitterly to the other party in a, in a conflict. Counseling may, be, counseling may be sinning. Desires have become a demand for respect in a marriage. I mean, you know, men, you know, that's why it says in the scriptures, women respect your husbands. Okay. And we may not be getting that all the time we want, but that does not mean we can sin because we are not getting it. We aren't perfect. Our wives are not perfect. We are not going to get the perfect respect. So that doesn't give us a license to respond unbiblically. Right, Mike? Right. So, I can see you guys poking each other over there. <laughs> oh. All right. Even if a blatant sin is present, I will usually not attack it immediately. I want to gather sufficient data. You know, it's amazing how a person walks in, you, you think you're a genius, you got it all figured out in the first 30 minutes. And as you really gather the data, it's a lot different than what you, what you think. Uh, if possible... Involvement must be established. Some people really go right at it from the very beginning. I want to build involvement so that this person trusts me and they know I really love them. And even if my ideas are sort of half-baked from the Scriptures, at least they sympathize with me as I'm trying to help help them. We're in it together. So... uh, so even if it's very blatant, we're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna let it go for a little bit unless it's I mean they're abusing someone we're, gonna, we're not putting anybody in danger or anything like that we're stopping that right from the beginning. So uh, no two dealings with the with sin are the same. 
But here are some of the steps that I take. You know, and you're going to see some of the same homework. Early, early on, the counseling will read and study Christ and your problems by Adams, the discipleship journal, uh, three truths that impress them, along with each truth to indicate how to practically live. So it's just not, what's the truth? Well, what difference does it make in your life? This is what one. So you're going to deal with, how you're going to deal with sin is you're going to have some homework that's going to uh, work through it here. Okay, you're going to want them to be praying to God for help. That's what the next point says. During a counseling session, you're going to go, the, go through the truths in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's the verse, no temptation. See that. And what I want to emphasize here is I always work through the four promises of hope. And I forget whether I do it the second or third session, but always go through this here, is that my, pro, my trial is common. Because it's when we think our trial is not common that then we take an unbiblical response to it. We take things into our hands. It's when we don't think God is faithful. So that they, a promise. It's God is faithful. And yes, I'll use the verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, and God is faithful. But, but we'll also look at, uh, I think it's, it's uh, Psalm 100, verse 5. talks about God being faithful too. God is, is good. And uh, uh, so that is important. It's when I don't think God is, is faithful. You know, he, he doesn't love me. He's not powerful enough. So I need to take things into my own hands. No, a promise of hope in your trial is that my trial is not more than I can handle. Now, this is sometimes hard for you as a, a, a counselor because it's hard for me. As a person sitting across from me, I'm hearing what they're having to go through. I'm thinking, oh, whoa. I, I don't know if I can handle that. But, I ha- but um, the scriptures are what the scriptures are, and God is who God is, and he says he doesn't give us more than we can handle. Uh, you know, I, I have to help this person have hope that, wow, uh, he must think you're a super saint. He's giving you a trial like this to go through, and he is faithful. He will never leave you or forsake you. And uh, to help them understand that, and that's what, in a shorthand way, First Corinthians ten thirteen, is 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 saying, and then God has provided a way to live in that trial so as not to sin. We First Corinthians ten thirteen reads, you know, no temptation, and then it uses temptation three times in it. The word for temptation and trial, there's no difference in the Greek. It's the same word, so. Uh, that can be translated just as easily trial. There's no trial that is uncommon. Uh, America, in English, it's been common to, to translate it as temptation. But uh, it's just as I often think that the verse has wider application in helping people see it that it's a trial because that's often what's happening in the counseling time. Okay. During a counseling session, we'll personally work through Psalm 32 and circle 2 Corinthians 7.10. That's the one where worldly sorrow, godly sorrow makes all the difference in the world. You know, from Psalm 32, they'll be shown that their pain and hardship is related to their sin and unrepentance. That's just beautiful. Repentance means more than just acknowledging a sin, but it includes a U-turn. All right, on 71... Interstate 71, 75, it's illegal you know, to make U-turns. But 
in the Christian life, you should make U-turns all the time. You know, we should be doing it regularly. And we should be helping others to do it uh, uh, there. And not just U-turns in, in behavior. It should be U-turns in attitude, U-turns in our, in our hearts when we realize what's bubbling up. That, that is, oh, that's a, that is, that, wow, Ken, that is, a, that is a greedy, greedy thought. Not just, wow, okay, I'll, I'll make sure no one else ever hears that, you know, and I'll sort of play with it. No, that is, that is a sin. And Lord, I need your help to work on my heart. Second uh, Corinthians seven ten very very important, not just to move the person to sorrow over their sin, but to move them to a godly sorrow, a worldly sorrow, as that verse says, means death, separation from God. Godly sorrow because repentance that leaves no regret uh, there. Very important to help them understand the difference between godly sorrow, worldly sorrow. Okay, gospels outlined in Romans. Uh, 623, that was the one we did on the board that uh, I wrote in the wrong color ink and I wrote sloppily so none of you could see it. So I'm very sorry about that. But Romans 623, go on the internet, look up for the one verse method, Navigator, Romans 623. Just a beautiful way to present the the gospel on the one side. You know, for the wages of sin are death. Okay? But, you know, the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's a great way to share the gospel. Then in a discipleship journey, write journal, write down sins that need repentance. And then during a counseling session, you know, we can actually pray together uh, for forgiveness and strength from God to live a new life. Uh, you know, a, a clear conscience will be checked for. That's what we want, want to have, uh, that Okay, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Okay, If he's forgiven us, we don't have to keep going around in a pity party about our sin now. Yes, we needed that sorrow, but now we have to embrace and be grateful for this forgiveness he's given us. They will be presented to make a renewed commitment to obedience to God's will as revealed. So a renewed commitment, circle that there, really pressing them to live in a new, fresh way and saying, Oh, Lord, you know, instead of saying, I, 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 I can't, you know, you get them to moving to saying, uh, it's not really a can't, you're just saying I won't, getting to move, yes, Lord, with your help. And uh, so at, at this time, uh, the work in God's power of putting off and putting on is commenced. We've talked a lot about that. And uh, they are not going to get it. To put off and put on. Uh, even myself, when I first, I, uh, you know, I can't remember whether I set it upstairs or downstairs now, but I, I wrote three or four, I wrote three things down. I have a fourth one of things I need to put off and put on. And I know my first shot at it is, is really pitiful. You know, it's not very specific. It's not, not uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to work on it as the Lord helps me to see it. And you're going to have to help them as, uh, you know, they work on it. You know, the guy's a workaholic. He's going to put down, okay, I've got to put off being a workaholic. Well, uh, I need to put on uh, looking at my work in a more godly way. Uh, that's a great start. But you've got to be more specific. How, how does your workaholic, how is it, uh, you know, uh, presenting itself? You know, I have to put off at work 
you know, doing whatever the boss says and being mean to people under me to get them to do more work. You know, I need to put on, you know, making sure I also do the responsibilities that I have in life, not just, you know, work comes before everything thing else. Okay. All right. Uh, counseling is taught the principles contained in Ephesians. We worked through those verses. Uh, real key, but don't go there right away. They are asked to list attitudes and action. They need to be put off and put on. They'll be both. Uh, if they need help with that, The Excellent Wife for Ladies, that book is just fantastic. Uh, now, when you first, if you first, if you haven't been exposed to Excellent Wife, you first read it. Martha Pease, the way she writes, it's just going to hit you between the eyes. That's one of the metaphors you're not supposed to use, but uh, you know exactly what I mean. And you're going to look at the book, and you're going to throw it against the wall and say, I never want to see this again. And the, ex- the exemplary husband is the same thing. Martha Pease and Stuart Scott uh, were, worked in the same counseling office. Martha Pease wrote ex- The Excellent Wife. So then Stuart, well, this is a great book. So then he turned around and wrote The Exemplary Husband. So... There. So, uh, you work through those. They have great uh, things in there. All right, let's see. Now, here's important. Weekly, an accounting will be presented so that loving accountability provided by the counselor. You're going to ask them how they're responding, how it's going. Write it down. Okay? Uh, I I asked, okay, okay, Let's see. <clears throat> I will. I will ask. You know, talking about a husband being more understanding with his wife. All right. I want you to uh, ask him to write down how are three ways this past week you showed your wife you were more understanding to her, and uh, uh, write them write them down exactly. You know what you did, and uh, I'll always ask. Well. And then I'll ask them to write down, well, how'd it go? You know, and sometimes it went well, sometimes it, it didn't go well. Well, it doesn't matter whether, then I'll be able to use that, teach that. It doesn't matter whether it immediately went well or didn't. We're not doing this to manipulate our way. We're doing it to be obedient to God. She is primarily a child of God before she is your wife. And so it says you're to act toward her in a, a considerate, understanding way. So there's all kinds of... These are some of the things just to deal with. Now, in accountability, we do a lot of accountability in counseling, but don't ever think you have to be Sherlock Holmes. And this is this often what it, it sounds like. It's like you've got to create an accountability system that you're going to catch this person. And what they'll do is the counselee will lay it on you is that, oh, I sinned, you know, and all this has been going on, but... Uh, you didn't. You didn't do a good job keeping me accountable. You didn't. You didn't ask this question. Well, how did you know to ask that question? You know, never try and get it when you're setting up the accountability, thinking that it's locked. You got it. This person's like in a lockdown, and you've you've got them, and you know you're calling them three, four times a day to make sure. Don't get ever sucked into that kind of accountability. That. I have seen, in fact, we have done it here in specific cases uh, dealing with uh, addictions to drugs and things like that. I've seen where that kind of, in those kind of rare cases, it helps. In other cases, 
it, uh, especially if you, let's say you're, some, you're working with a fellow and he's involved in pornography. And if you try and create a lockdown on this person, it, it will drive you crazy and it'll become a game of how they can get, a, get around it and get around the programs and all. But uh, that doesn't mean don't do any accountability. It just means that, you know, you're there to ask them the questions. You're there to be a help, but you're not there to be Sherlock Holmes nor to catch them in everything that they're trying to do. All right. So um, case history. Here's one. You can read through it. This was a single professional person in his 50s. Uh, got married for first time. Immediately, it went bad. I mean, it had an unbelievable courtship. Everything was hunky-dory, beautiful. It went bad. Uh, his new wife confronts him, and uh, he's just not... I mean, he's, it's like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde once he got married. It was unbelievable. Uh, his response was very explosive anger, and then once he realized what he had done, he withdrew. You know, well, that's the last thing she wanted, you know, to happen. Uh, I met with them both off and on. This guy was a principal of a middle school. Very, very successful where he was. Uh, he wouldn't do the homework. Okay? He'd cancel uh, meetings. I mean, he wouldn't just cancel. He, didn't, he wouldn't show up. Uh, and uh, he actually was an elder in our church. He wasn't, he, uh, when his term came up, he was removed. He wasn't considered again. So during the counseling, the items outlined above were done. He finally admitted he had a deep sin, but he didn't tell me at first. We continued to work on it. He did make a full confession. It was a pornography. Uh, Psalm 32, I can still re- um, was at his home. His wife wasn't there. He cried and cried and cried. He was truly sorry for God uh, what had happened. Uh, and together, you know, they worked on putting on and putting off the sinful thoughts. We worked on it. They worked on it. And in God's kindness, they both grown closer to each other and the Lord. And, uh, you know, I moved from there. I'm here. And uh, <clears throat> I love those people greatly. I thought I was going to live there forever. But now I'm with Grace Fellowship Church. I'm with you people. It's not a job. You know, it's our, it's Beth and Art's our life. So I didn't get to go back uh, as often as I thought I would go back to see those people because I have life here now with you. But uh, one, two, three years ago, uh, I saw them. He was Nank then. They were at uh, the annual conference, and he never took off time to spend with his wife. He was there with her, had gotten release time as a principal. He was there, and she had completed her certification in uh, Nank and ACBC, and their marriage was greatly, greatly restored and living in a, a loving way. So, uh, it was very frustrating through it, but you never know what God will do. Just stay close to the Lord and serve him and see what he'll do.